Also available on the Frank Horror channel, Frank Horror presents Sinner's Moon, a seven-episode limited horror fiction series. Suitable for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Horror Analysis, a podcast that takes a psychological deep dive into all things horror and macabre. Here are your hosts, Frank Horror, writer, director, filmmaker, and podcaster with a background in counseling psychology, and Dr. Elliot Rotman, a clinical psychologist with a background in acting and the arts. At the end of last episode, we were talking about trauma, and that seems to be one of the key elements in horror. Uh, so I want to continue that discussion on trauma a little bit here. So speaking of trauma and um, you know, using horror to kind of deal with or, or examine trauma, obviously one of the most relevant topics and, and the, the thing that we've had to deal with on a global level is um, the pandemic, the mm-hmm. COVID virus. And, um, that has been extremely traumatic uh, across our society and, and the impact and the toll that it's taken. And we could probably go into that as a whole topic of its own, but, you know, it, it brings me to the horror that kind of reflects that is the post-apocalyptic zombie horror subgenre that we have. And that could be anything from like, um, viruses, like the rage virus of 28 days later to, um, just you know, the infection of zombies from Dawn of the Dead, just eating each other's flesh. And that once you're dead, that turns you into a zombie. There's this thing about infection and disease and spreading and the, the fall of our society, this post-apocalyptic world that is captivating. Um, you have a show like Walking Dead, right? Mm-hmm. I think they're on season 11 now, and I've been with them ever since. And I've done all the little spinoff shows that they've, all the little avenues they've taken and have been all about The Walking Dead. And I have to say, when the pandemic hit, uh, I felt like, okay, I've, I've seen this for nine, ten seasons. I, I think I know what I'm preparing for here, for the collapse of society. And, and, and so, in a way, not to say that this was what led me through a pandemic, but it helped me personally prepare for uh, what to expect, potentially, right? And so... Let's talk about that. Let's talk about post-apocalyptic and zombie films and, and, and what that says about us. Okay. Well, I, I think there's a whole post-apocalyptic genre, not just of films, but of literature, where what happens when society collapses, when all of the trappings that we have no longer support us, no longer apply. And... I think that the the horror of that isn't necessarily involving a creation like zombies, which is how we, you know, the way we think of them now, largely through movies and George Romero's first film, which, you know, zombies now became these things that were, uh, that were going to kill you as opposed to the original notion of a zombie going back into Caribbean culture, which is this person who could be controlled. And they were in this, state where through drugs you could control them. But if you think about uh, a book like The Road, uh, Cormac McCarthy, 
Uh, that's a very, very disturbing book because it's not, there's nothing there anymore. It's nihilistic. And what would it be like to have survived in a society where everyone else that you encounter is likely a predator? Kind of, you know, could be a slasher, could be a killer, but it's basically you against the world. And what would happen if it was an us or a me or a you against them? Adding something more supernatural adds a dramatic element to it. It's, you know, what you're fighting. The Mad Max movies are post-apocalyptic, but there it's done as an action film. You're going up against different people and they, they ramped up the action so much that the people become characters, you know, just outrageous cars, outrageous chases, out, really outrageous violence with a hero focused, uh, with a focus on a hero. When there is a kind of nihilism where none of the rules apply and you can't negotiate with anyone or anything, that goes back to that sense of dread, that sense of, I have no idea how to, to, you know, whether I'm going to survive, not because of my own wits, but because of something out there. And something out there that might look human, but might not really be. Even though the zombies are a primary threat right there, by their very existence, they want to eat you. Um, in almost every movie, television show, the zombies almost become secondary. The real threat are the humans. And I think that's the trope. So without society and the guardrails that society provides, that implicit agreement of these are the laws, these are the norms of society, it becomes survival of the fittest. It's a very Darwinian. Mm -hmm. And so even if you build alliances in a, a post-apocalyptic world, you know, in a story like that, you there's always another alliance you're going to go up against. There's always going to be some other force uh, of society that, you know, what used to be society that is now just wild and unpredictable and out to get you because you have resources that they want. And when you throw in the, the zombie part, um, you now have something else to focus on because they become a monster. Uh, they might have been your next door neighbor, but now there's no reasoning with them and they want to eat you and they're frightening. They're also can be treated as objects because However, you get rid of them if you have to shoot them in the head, decapitate them. That seems to be the, you know, the proven way to do it. The horrific elements come in with a violation of body integrity. You know, it's like that they're coming to get you. They're not going to push you down and punch you. They're going to always, they're going to bite you and rip out a hunk of flesh. It's never been clear to me how, if you become a zombie, why it's so easy to do that to people, to simply rip out a hunk of flesh casually. Um, but that's the whole part of the genre, that it's like they can invade us in that way. But what's frightening about them is they're mindless, at least in many of the films. So you, they become objects. And it's a consequence. And there also isn't necessarily a, a moral element here. It's like there's a virus through the world. Go, you're talking about COVID. Or with fears about um, fears about things like Ebola, 
which had devastated some parts of the world, not here in the States, or the fear of AIDS, that when it first came out in the 80s, which we're going back, we were talking about uh, slasher films, the moralistic kind of thing. It was like, well, you got AIDS if you were you know, sexually wrong, if you did it in an immoral way. And people were terrified at first because it wasn't really clear how you got it. So, Right. They used to think if you touch someone that had AIDS, you could have it. Right. If you shook their hand. That's right. So those people who had AIDS initially, which were largely gay male population, uh, there was an enor- they, they became objectified. There was a lack of empathy among portions of the society, going back to Ronald Reagan in terms of not um, allowing funds for AIDS development. It's like they're bad. They deserve to have the, the slasher, the guy in the mask or whatever, go after them. It wasn't that simple. In terms of post-apocalyptic zombies, it's like it's a combination of things. There's one, there's the lack of, as we were talking about, the lack of societal structures, which is terrifying. For some, some people see that as freeing. It's, a, it's starting over afresh. If you, if you survive it. If you survive it. Right. But, and there are people who to this day will, you know, they're, they're preppers of some sort who are preparing for, call it whatever. It's, sometimes it's nuclear war, race war, or the interesting thing about the zombie apocalypse, it's strictly through movies and television that there are some people who believe this could actually happen. Although no one has ever documented an actual zombie walking among us. Yeah, I, it felt like maybe five, ten years ago. It could be more. I, I don't recall exactly. But there was, a, there was a scare in Florida when there was a few moments where people thought, is this a zombie outbreak? Because people were biting other people. And I think it turned out to be just bath salts. People went nuts on bath salts and were right, attacking right, each right. other. But there was a, a brief moment there where our culture kind of stopped and said, is this the beginning of a zombie apocalypse? Luckily, it was just bath salts. It was just bath salts. But I think it all goes into that element there of insecurity, anxiety, threat, and some kind of physical violation. And threat and threat for our survival. Yeah. Yeah. And for resources. I mean, again, going back to the pandemic, I remember driving to my father's house to kind of give him, supply him with toilet paper. And I thought, I've got a precious commodity. I, maybe I ought to take a machete with me or something in case somebody tries to stop and hijack my toilet paper. <laughs> but once those walls of society are, are down, someone like you or I, that we, we rely on that for safety, for security, for services, needed services, um, that's threatening to us. It fascinates me about the preppers or the people that, some people who look forward to society crumbling and so they can start over in a new way. And maybe that's a whole different topic to talk about, but um, people see the apocalypse differently. Well, or whatever this apocalypse would be. I mean, some people see it in religious terms, um, but the people who are uh, stockpiling food and such, they're feeling in control. It's like they're going to be ready. So when, and we'll get into this when we talk about the origins of of monster movies, but during uh, the Cold War, people building fallout shelters pretty naively, but stocking it saying, 
something is going to happen that is going to devastate society. It's going to be the apocalypse if Russia, you know, shoots missiles at us and we shoot missiles at them. So we're going to be ready in some way. And the horror of that would be the people out there who would be exposed to radiation and infection, and they would be trying to get to us. So these scenarios get played out in different ways. It just depends on what elements you want to put on top that have narrative, that have dramatic or emotional value. You can dress it up in all sorts of ways. And that's just thinking about that. That's what tends to get rewarded for the characters in these scenarios, these survival scenarios in a post-apocalyptic world, whatever that apocalypse consists of, it's the people that can adapt and can accept that society is gone and we're going to have to do some drastic hard things that wouldn't otherwise be acceptable. And that's an interesting avenue to explore because you really have to look at moral choices and what what is acceptable, what would be acceptable in that situation. In those films, um, there's also an element there in terms of the protagonists of who's going to be courageous, who's going to be cowardly, who's going to be strong, who's going to be weak. And sometimes the dramatic tension goes to when the person who is heroic ends up not surviving. And then there's a real emotional impact because there's a sense of Oh, okay. He does, he quote, deserved to, he, there was every reason that he would buck the odds. And then that has a, a often a really visceral impact. They, that happens often, or that hero at least dies a noble death in saving the others. But you're right. It does have an impact because you, someone you expected to live because they had that code and they were heroic doesn't make it to the end. Mm-hmm. I guess there's a lesson in that, huh? What would that be? I have no idea. <laughs> Don't be a hero. Well, you could take it that way. That's a rather cynical one. Well, it is a cynical uh, subgenre when you look at it. It's mm-hmm. very nihilistic. Mm-hmm. And it's the people who have that, that good guy mentality that they don't make it. They have to change. They have to adapt and give up some of that goodness that what we see currently as goodness. So the moral code is restructured in a post-apocalyptic world, it changes. For survival. For survival. And then you have to figure out, well, who, who is the enemy, who is not the enemy? Um, there have been some post-apocalyptic due to viruses where there's, you know, people become vampires. And then there's the us and them, except the vampires look like us. But that's, that's our society now is, you know, it seems like we're hardwired to see in-group and out-group. There's always an us and them. I think that just codifies that in a a survival genre where you've got your group and they'll do whatever it takes to fend off the invaders to protect the group. Can you give an example of that? In terms of a film or a show? Or, Or just even in society. What's something that we do now? Yeah. Oh, politics. Okay. Politics or religion. That is the absolute in-group, out-group. Because we draw a line and say, we're the good ones. We're the pure ones here. You know, they're the ones that are responsible for this. They're the ones that are responsible for that. So they become the scapegoats and we project onto that out-group. I mean, we do that even at societal or um, family levels, rather. 
So we can say, oh, well, our family or this side of the family is good, but it's that side that's, you know, mm. they've got that drinking problem or that kid's got that. Like we're always drawing those divisions between the in-group and out-group. And I think that's something that really the the survival that post-apocalyptic genre can hit upon if they do it correctly. I think you're making a good point. So particularly, I think politically, without getting into specific politics, but certainly over the last five years or more, um, groups that one group that disagrees with the other becomes demonized, that they be, they are almost labeled as monstrous because they're out to s- steal your freedom, take away your guns, do all of those things. And there's, there's no blending. There's no crossing. It becomes very binary, very black and white. Mm-hmm. And that's really the premise. When we talk about why all of this has so much power it goes back to to us to, to human nature to have an us and them. And look at sports teams. I mean, this is Philadelphia. We throw what was it batteries at Santa Claus, or people get in fist fights over. You're not rooting for the same sports team that I'm rooting for. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous to me. That's arbitrary. But some people take that very very seriously. Yeah, I wouldn't tell that to soccer fans in England. Yeah, or something like that. <laughs> Let's just come together. No. But it's the demon. It's the demonizing, and then that goes, interestingly enough, back into history where religious groups that have been identified as wrong, as evil, and then all of these powers are attributed to them. So, I mean, much of the basis of anti-Semitism is the notion that, well, the Jews can control the world and control all of the money and everything else. Therefore, they must be whether it's destroyed or anything else, there's, you don't need any evidence for it. In Northern Ireland, Catholics versus Protestants in other uh, countries, I, I was reading about how in Afghanistan, among refugees now, different ethnic groups that are now all being thrown together in refugee centers are figuring out how to have to um, work together because normally they would be fighting with each other and rejecting. Uh, we see this in in China. There is a group of ethnic Chinese that are being persecuted. That they're being evil. They're dropping, bringing down society. So, if you extending that to our main topic of the horror genre, is the first step is to dehumanize and objectify someone, which then lets you act towards them in a horrible or horrific way because they're not really people anymore. There's something other. There's something other. They are the other, capital O, absolutely. And in many ways, we have a tendency to give them characteristics that make them different, subhuman, or uh, monstrous, right? Mm-hmm. They're a monster. Mm-hmm. Or they're a threat. And, they're a threat. And, they, and you know, they, they, will, they will hurt you. And that leads us into the monster movie subgenre. And that is actually the topic for our next episode. So come back for episode five to hear us discuss monsters. The Horror Analysis is a Frank Horror production and is brought to you by Frank Juknowitz, Elliot Rotman, and William Rizzo. Audio engineering and the original theme music to The Horror Analysis were provided by William Rizzo. Audio editing provided by Frank Joknowitz.
Sound mastering was provided by David Parsons. The opening credits introduction was voiced by Christine Matshai. To learn more about our show, visit us online at frankhorror.com.